only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. It is hard to believe, good evening to you, that we are already at episode two of Beyond the Bricks. Jay Query along with Mike Thompson, longtime Indianapolis 500 media member. I'm speaking of Mike, not myself, from both a radio and television standpoint and has worked in a number of different capacities. And, Mike, we are already at a victory here on day number two because... We are 24 hours into it, and I have not forgotten my password to log into the computer here. I thought you were going to say we're at a victory because they asked us to come back after show one. <laughs> That's that true. Well. Right Trust there. me. I, th- listen, it wouldn't be the first time in this building I wasn't asked back in. Right? <laughs> so I'm just thrilled. I, I still hold my breath whenever I swipe the key fob. But um, we had a great time last night and having Donald Davidson on the program and then you know, talking to Donald about talk of gasoline alley. And for those that were, you know, we're going to rehash a little bit of last night because of the fact that we are now on, of course, 1070, the fan and 107.5 FM. So for those who are in their car that were not listening yesterday from a streaming standpoint, probably recap a little bit of it, Mike, but let's begin with this. And that is, and for those who are hearing us repeat ourselves, I apologize for that, but I want to begin with you, Mike, and I both, you know, when I was probably 30 years old, maybe 32 years old, somewhere in, in that range, is when I really got to know Donald, and my grandmother was just thrilled by it. She, My grandparents had the old houses in the 60s and the 70s with the intercom radio that went over the house, and they had they, they loved listening to Donald Davidson. And as a matter of fact, after my grandmother had passed away, one of their old radios, my grandparents um, had left to my parents. We're going through all of my, my grandparents' stuff, and they found this old radio and plugged it in. And lo and behold, when they plugged it in, what was it tuned to? But it was still tuned to 1070, and it was in May, and Donald was talking. And I, I just always found that so symbolic. So I say all of that to simply say that we are two people who I think represent hundreds of thousands with the highest respect level and reverence for Donald and for the program that he did and the incredible brilliant mind that he had. And so, therefore, it is not our intention to be Donald. And, and because that we, is Because we can't be Donald. We are flat the, incapable of yeah, doing Yeah, there's it. no one capable of doing what Donald does. I mean, I, I was telling people a little bit. I mean, I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag too much about what the show was going to be. But I told people, I said, if you – if you think we're going to be running down the career year by year of Bobby Grimm or Leon Dre, that's not what we're doing, man. Uh, that's Donald's bag. And and there's one guy who can do that um, the way Donald did it. Um, that show was was amazing. Um, you know, what I, I keep, you know, and I, I'm repeating myself, so I apologize for repeating myself from last night, but it was really succinct when it said last night that we were putting – talk of gasoline alley up in the rafters a little bit last night. And and I really feel that way because there's really no show that I can think of in the annals of radio history. That's like what the talk of gasoline alley was. Um, we're going to play a clip, uh, I think a little bit later um, with, with Donald and Kevin Calabro from, from way back, um, you know, just setting up a little bit about what we're talking about, but just, you know, how special 
what Donald uh, created with the number of different hosts. And, you know, I, and I tell people the, the story that I was on pit lane one day in my, in my first or second year at, at WIBC and I get a phone call and I'm on pit lane and it's carb day. And, and it was Greg Rakestraw who used to work, work here at, uh, at the fan. And he says, Hey, I need you to co-host the talk of gasoline alley. And I, and I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is what I've wanted to do my entire life. And, and I sat in this studio with Donald and I think the first call went like 30 minutes because I was a fan. I'm sitting, listening to Donald talk about Dempsey Wilson and I'm supposed to keep the show moving. And I'm sitting there just listening as a fan because that's just what the show is. It's, it's Donald. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just an amazing piece of radio history and uh, it can really never be duplicated. And so when I was asked to do this show, and I, I think you felt the same way, Jake, when you were asked to do the show, you know, yeah, I'd love to do a show and I'd really love to do a show with you, uh, but I don't want it to be the Talk of Gasoline Alley 2 because it, it's just not going to be that show. Um, you know, I, I want it to be something different and, and, and a nod to the past and a nod to what Donald did. Um, but we need to kind of, you know, carve out a little bit of our own what we're doing um, with a nod to the fact that that Donald's irreplaceable. And I used to tell people that all the time. I mean, you know, uh, people know that I, I worked at the museum briefly and, and uh, you know, at one of the great honors of my life was I was Donald's supervisor for a couple of years. And that was really good and really bad because when your hero is, a, is somebody you have to do write a review for, that's not really as easy as it might sound um, did your review just consist of you are my hero? Yeah. I mean, like, but like I would tell my boss at the time who was the executive director at the time, I would tell her, you know, this really isn't as easy as you think it is because this is my hero from when I was 12 years old and now I'm supposed to write a review. And so when I have to sit down with him and do the review, it's like, this is not the easiest thing in the world, man, you know, because you know, you're looking, I'm looking at him still and, and. You know, to Don, Donald calls me every time. I'm I'm not kidding you. Donald called me earlier today. Every time the phone rings and I look down and it says Donald Davidson, I get a charge out of that. Oh, man. Of course, I, it's unbelievable. I mean, it is it is still as exciting for me as the first time I ever sat with him. And I'll tell you that I met Donald for the first time in in uh, you know when I moved here in in uh, 2009, um, and and then. It happened that in 2000, I think it was 2009, he, he came up to me at the, in the lunchroom at the Speedway one day. And I, I usually, I'm a real solitary guy. And I, I like to find a spot where I'm just sitting there and eating lunch by myself. Uh, just, that's just kind of, I'm just kind of one of those introvert type guys. And Donald comes up to me and I'm in a, one of those little, you know, these, those tables in the lunchroom, Jake, you've been in there. And, and there's a couple of those tables against the wall that are two tops, right? Right. And I'm sitting in there by myself and donald walks up to me and goes can i sit with you and i didn't know donald at the time i mean i met him once and he looks at me and goes can i sit and have lunch with you and i'm like uh yeah uh, you know so i'm texting my dad um donald asked if he can have lunch with me well don't you, know? you in those situations you find yourself saying to yourself um there are people that would pay money at silent auctions for this. oh yeah and, you know what i mean but here's the best part donald looks right at me sits down with his lunch and looks at me and says um I'd like to sit and have lunch with you, but you can't ask me anything. You know, he didn't want to do right. he didn't want to do Donald Davidson right then. He just wanted to have lunch. And what I found out later is Donald doesn't, you know, Donald doesn't really do lunches. It's difficult to get him to go to lunch. You know, I mean, I don't think in the time I worked at the museum when we never went to lunch. Well, together, he probably would never be able to eat right, because, because people be asking yeah, him. Yeah, because right? people are. And that's what's funny about what you mentioned last night, um, talking to Donald, 
is I, I drove him on a golf cart several times through Gasoline Alley, and there would be, you know, famous drivers, you know, walking around, and people are stopping us on the cart. Hey, Donald, hey, Donald, you know, and, and I mean, it was driving, it was driving John Lennon, or it was driving, I mean, it was your name, sure. name whoever you want to name. It was driving, you know, a famous, uh, you know, a member of a rock band or something through through Gasoline Alley. It was just, it was astounding how how many times we got stopped and the people just love him. And and I, it was funny, I produced a show for WIBC, um, you know, several times, I, you know, I produced the Heroes of the 500 and I'm really proud. I still do that for WIBC and, and I produced a show and it was a, it was a, a bit of an esoteric show we did the top 10 most influential people in 500 history who were not drivers in the race. And so I called Donald, um, at the time and I said, Hey, I need your, um, you know, I need your input as always for this show. And he, he said, well, give me the list. And he was on the list and he told me, no, absolutely not. And I said, no, Donald, you, you have to be on the list. You, there would be a, a, where did you have him? Did you rank them or did you just, simply yeah, they were ranked, but he was, I, you know, and, and he, he wanted me, he, he flat out told me he would not do the show and help me because he was on the list at first. And I said, Donald, do you have to be on the list? I said, you're one of the most important figures in 500 history. And I said, you know, I said, so who did you have on the, on the list that were not, because obviously Carl Fisher, Arthur Newby, right. you know, Eddie Rickenbacker, Tony Holman, I mean, that speaks for itself, Right. right? But we but had, you know, Sid Collins was on the list. Tom okay. Carnegie, you know, Tom Carnegie. Yeah, exactly. We had, we had all those, all those folks were on the list. And, but I, I had showed Donald the list, and Donald finally relented after I told him. I said, "Look, Don, I said I'm going to do the show, basically, whether you help or not." And, and he finally relented in, in, in his, you know, in jovial way, and he said, "I'll agree to do it as long as I'm basically number ten." <laughs> and so, you know, he did it as number ten. But I was trying to explain to him. I said, "I don't think you." understand when we were doing the interview i said i don't think you maybe understand how much you mean to people i i said you you mean so much to these to the folks and i really think that now that he's announced his retirement and especially now that the talk of gasoline alley is, has been put up in the rafters i really think he's seeing it and i think it really gratifies him i really do yeah i think he was incredulous to it for a very long time uh, which is refreshing. One of the things that I that I want to make sure, and over the course of this program tonight, folks, thank you for joining us again. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson. We will continue to reflect on Donald Davidson. Also with the passing of Bobby Unser, I want to get into the 1981 Indianapolis 500 because it was a race that not only was controversial, of course, and took so long to decide, of course, but it also beyond just the amount of time it took to decide the winner, it had implications and was a watershed moment in the lives really of two different men that one of which we celebrate now in Bobby Unser, but Mario Andretti interweaves with that as well. And I want to get into how their lives were impacted by that 1981 Indianapolis 500, including in their own words and including listening to some of the audio of what took place. That's part of what we will do over the course of this program. But, Mike, I want to make very clear to people, in case we didn't emphasize it enough last night, and then I promise we'll, we'll move on, but I do think it's important that people understand this. The Indianapolis 500 is a unique sporting event, and it's a unique sporting event because it's more than just a sporting event. It's a civic celebration, and it's a, a celebration, really, of just humanity in general because it's the largest collection from a sports standpoint of human beings in one place at any one time. And the thing about the Indianapolis 500 
to me that is so special, if people ask me what makes it so great, is that every person that goes to it has their own personal connection. And each person's personal connection, they are convinced, is more personal than anyone else's. And I think it's important that people, it's important to me, I should say, and pardon me for being self-serving in that capacity, but it's important for me that people understand on this program that what they are listening to are two people who understand that and respect it from all 300,000 people that are there and that we are two people. I have had the great fortune, Mike, of covering, as have you, a number of different sporting events and being at a number of different great games and historic moments in sports. And many, many, many of them do become ordinary. I've had the pleasure of coming, covering multiple Super Bowls. And Media Day to me is laborious and tiresome. And I've had the, the pleasure of covering Final Fours, and it's it, it's really neat, don't get me wrong, but it's awfully crowded. The Indianapolis 500 is the one event that every time I'm around it or able to speak about it, I'm the same kid that I was at eight years old the first time I saw those flags walking in with my dad and my mom to go sit in the paddock for the first time in 1981. And I know that you are the same and so I, I, I hope more than life itself that over the course of the month and listening to this show, that people feel when listening to the two of us, that they're not listening to two guys who are media members that are covering the race, but rather two people who have the incredible, incredible fortune and blessing to have a microphone to be able to illustrate the exact passion those people feel. Oh, I, I agree 100% with everything you just said. And, and I think one of the reasons why the 500 and why uh you know indycar racing is is so unique to um you know and, and there's so much passion from the fans point of view is you know especially with the passing of bobby unser the passing of bobby unser i mean we we lose sports legends we lost hank aaron recently we lose we lose sports legends but in 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 indycar and in in the with the fact with this with the, the folks at the indianapolis 500 at the indianapolis motor speedway People have met Bobby Unser. You know, yeah, I mean, truly. you can you can you can buy your way in if you want, right, to the locker room. You can't do that in, in Major League Baseball. You can't do that in the NFL. So there's so many people, and to to your point about everybody has their own story. Um, you know, I was so gratified on. You know, I'm not a Facebook person. I don't have a Facebook account, but I I was I was perusing some different accounts yesterday, and and everybody had a picture with Bobby Unser. Yeah. And what I was thinking is, you know. You know, everybody doesn't have a picture with Hank Aaron. Everybody doesn't have a picture with Peyton Manning or, or you know, Brett Favre or Bart Starr or whoever you want to name, you know, that's a, a, a celebrity athlete. But it seemed like yesterday everybody had a picture with Bobby Unser. Mike, in the 20, I believe it was 2015 Indy 500, somewhere around there. It wasn't the 100th, but it was, it was just slightly before that. Every year, what I love doing, one of my favorite things to do every year there are certain race traditions that I enjoy. We all have our traditions. Until I was an adult, I never went to, except for the one year that I worked it for Cub Scouts, I never went to the parade. Now, my girlfriend and I every year love going to the parade, and I love it because everything is still yet to happen. You know, you know you're on, the, it's Christmas Eve, you know you're on the eve of it, and, it, you know, nothing, you're sitting there and the anticipation's building and you're watching the the 
you know, the floats coming down and you know that by row by row you're getting ready to see and you wonder and you think to yourself, somebody in this group is going to be the one that's going to make history tomorrow that we're going to talk about for years. It's just magical. But one of the things that I also enjoy doing is then that night on Saturday night, walking up and down Georgetown, smelling the campfires, hearing the crowd and the buzz. And about five or six years ago, I was doing that as I do. And I hear someone say, hey, Bobby Unser's in the Coke lot. And I thought to myself, and at this point, Bobby Unser had, you know, he would have been 81 or 82 years old or something. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, that's funny. I mean, obviously there's somebody that looks like Bobby Unser, somebody's grandpa or something's at, you know, in the Coke lot. And I get closer on Georgetown Road and, and Derek Schultz, who I did a radio show with here in Indianapolis, I see him and he says, oh, Bobby Unser came over to one of the campgrounds and I said what are you talking about there's no <laughs> way and I turn around and here's a golf cart and I mean there are people doing like beer bong selfies and Bobby Unser's in the middle of it like I'll tell you this is just why it's the greatest event in the world I just love it and, and I mean and he's taking pictures with people and he's high-fiving people and I mean he is literally there literally there as everyone's uncle right mm-hmm. I mean everyone yeah. and Uncle Bobby and I mean everyone loved the guy and there, I couldn't believe it there's really not another guy who you can say was a better ambassador and I mean and he he truly loved the fans and and I saw a story today that you know you know me with my with my autograph collection and you know I like to think I have one of the if not the top one of the top two or three Indianapolis 500 and IndyCar autograph collections in the world I mean I you know I've been lucky to be profiled in a couple magazines and things like that with it and I'm really proud of that so you know I'm really you know tapped into the autograph world Bobby Unser has been very very sick and I think a lot of people didn't realize how sick he's been the last few months he was still trying to sign autographs for people up till the last few days of his life a person that I know posted on Facebook today that yesterday on the day it was announced that Bobby Unser passed away he went out to his mailbox opened up the mail and there was one of, he had he had sent an autograph request to Bobby Unser and Bobby had signed as best he could, and he got it back the day it was announced he passed away. Wow. He was still signing for people. And, I mean, there was, there was really nobody uh, who was you, – you, you couldn't name somebody who was better at signing through the mail and things like that than Bobby Unser. He, he always wanted to take care of fans in person. He wanted to take care of fans, you know, through the mail. And, I mean, he was signing up to the time that he passed away because he knew it made people happy. And he was just a tremendous ambassador. And, and I, that story about the Coke lot doesn't surprise me at all because he, you know, he wanted to be around people. He loved being, uh, you know, part of the part of the action, obviously. And he just he just that was just that was just him. And he was a he was a tremendous. I don't know if I told you this before, but he was just a tremendous river um, because when we were working on that exhibit, uh, the Unser family exhibit, and I told you he loaned us a lot of, uh, you know, amazing, amazing artifacts and. And he was talking about the fact that they won an Emmy, you know, with Paul Page and, and ABC Sports won an Emmy. And I was sitting next to him at the time. and He's talking about this Emmy. And I said, I said, well, you know, that's pretty good. I said, you know, I worked in TV and I got nominated for several Emmys. and I never won one. And he would not let that go. Hey, I won an Emmy. You know, he right. elbows me in the ribs. He's like, I want, did I tell you I won an Emmy? You know, and so every time I saw him the rest of the month of May, he would show me the Emmy in the, in the case. It's pretty that, awesome. Because and I'll he, tell you what. 
He won an Emmy. A well-deserved Emmy because oh, yeah. the television with he and Paul Page and Sam Posey was, you know, for so many people of my age group, that was what that was part of the soundtrack of what we fell in love with, right? I mean, that was literally, I mean, whether it was them arguing or whether it was, you oh. know, just just Bobby's the way that he could listen to the car once they moved him to turn two, you know, I can hear him feathering it, Paul. You know, I mean, he just he knew so much about or it. just the or just the little folksy things he would say that became calls that you'll remember forever. I will always remember as soon as Mario drops out in 1987. Don't count your chickens till they hatch. Yeah, you know you're I mean? right. I mean, you just you, they, I think of that that as soon as I think of Bobby Unser on on the calls, How about I think of that in the 87 race. Al Unser, of course, Roberto Guerrero's leading. He comes in, he pits, he stalls. Al Unser takes over, and Al Unser, they know, you know, you can tell that Al Unser is about to win it, and Jim Lampley was on the call. And as all of that is taking place, Al Unser wins the race. He wins his fourth. They put the headsets on him, and now here's going to be the poignant moment where Bobby Unser is going to tribute his brother Al, who has surpassed him in total wins and become just the second man for a four-time winner. And Bobby Unser says, Al, I got to tell you, it was just really neat. <laughs> that was it like just really neat that was it like well that's okay but that's al but that's I, al if you talk spend a lot of time talking to both, al right al's word is everything's neat right and and i love that about al is you know well they're you both know, you know everything's neat it was the one the beauty of it it was the one time in the life of bobby unser where his brother was on was in the bigger moment and it was the one time where bobby unser and not al was the one that was understated mm-hmm and there's a symbolism there from big brother to little brother that was awfully, awfully cool. Uh, when we come back, we're going to play a little bit uh, from Donald Davidson last night. He had a message to you fans that I wanted to make sure that we allowed you to hear over the radio airwaves. We will do that later in this program. And a couple of questions from Twitter focusing on that 1981 Indianapolis 500, which itself had – some implications beyond the bricks. So why not talk about it on this program? It's what we will do when we come back. You're listening to Beyond the Bricks on 107.5 and 1070 The Fan. The crossed flags starting to be lowered down just above the bricks to let us know that we are already at the halfway point. Closing in on it, Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson. This is Beyond the Bricks. We're going to talk about the 1981 Indianapolis 500 coming up in just a moment. Yes, sir. Does Alan Silvestri only get royalties during May in Indianapolis for the Delta Force theme? Boy, you're not kidding. And, and you know, how many people realize that that was actually, you know, obviously a television theme song before Paul Page started using it for the intros to the Indianapolis 500. I was just thinking about that, though, the other day. When I, was, I heard it. I actually heard it in context of something I was editing, and I thought, does this get played any time outside of May in Indianapolis? It's the best. Yeah, absolutely. And when did it, when did this really become to people? 90, uh, the 92 Open. Well, yeah, I mean, the 91 Open is my favorite, but, but when did people all of a sudden become nostalgically reflective about it i just think that the 92 open after the 92 open i think it just really grabbed everybody in my opinion i I just think that's the one that that everybody just goes back to and says that's the one that that for them it's it's where they really became a delta force fan but i just had to i had to ask that question when we were playing a great question because it's it is immediately for me it just 
it just becomes 72 and breezy and sunny outside no matter what time of year I, I hear this. Um, and gosh darn it, this time of year it's so great because you know that we're on the cusp of it all. Um, last night, Donald Davidson did join us, and it was very important, folks, very important to Donald to let people know a few things about his retirement from the Speedway, notably that you know that he made that decision and that that decision was placed strictly for him and by him, and also that people understood his appreciation. It was so important to Donald that even though he voiced it last night and we did so on the stream because the Pacer game was on terrestrial radio, that Mike and I both felt it was very important to make sure that we air it again so that those who were tuning in today for the first time from a radio standpoint are able to hear it. Uh, This was just about 24 hours ago, and this is Donald Davidson. It was my decision to do this. There's there's no, you know, the... There's nothing to read between the lines. Um, it was just that I, for some time, re- or for the recent years, was thinking, I don't know if it's, if I, you know, if I just felt that, that um, uh, I'm not as sharp as I was, and uh, I'm still okay, <laughs> but I just, uh, with, with the, the um, uh, what's been happening for the last few months and certainly the last year, and that I was working from home, and I did officially retire from the track on December the 31st. But also last year, just the very way that I had to do the show, and so many things were changed, and I thought, I don't know that I'm really comfortable doing this anymore. And uh, just, you know, the nightly routine and, and so on and so forth. And so I decided that I would like to step back, not stop, but just step back and be able to do the things just that I wanted to do and not do the things that I don't want to do. Well, that hasn't worked out very well so far. But um, uh, it was my decision, and um, I will say that I'm so grateful to the fans, and there seems to be so many of them, and that is so flattering. And uh, I'll just, uh, in, in addition to saying thank you to, to all of the people, I've just been blessed. Uh, it as, uh, as the some Brits would say it wasn't all beer and Skittles, but for most of the time I was living a dream. I mean, there were times when it wasn't a dream. There was behind-the-scenes things going on, but I think that's true of, of um, you know, just uh, you know anybody's uh, life, I suppose. But uh, the fact that I did so many talks and um, just one thing seemed to lead to another, and the radio thing just kept happening. I mean, I never expected that it would last as long as it did. And it lasted and still lasts because Donald will be joining us periodically. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a feeling by the end of the week, we will probably hear from Donald again. But wanted to replay that from Donald Davidson. And again, our hearty thanks to him for his time and his contributions to the greatest race course and the greatest event in the world. Okay, Mike, let's talk about the 1981 Indianapolis 500. For me, what I remember personally, when I was a kid, my dad would always, there are three of us, myself and my two sisters, and we used to do a thing during the race where my dad, we would draw drivers, and if you had the winning driver, my dad, you got $3, second place got $2, and first place got a dollar. And my sister in 1981 drew Mario Andretti, and I drew Bobby Unser. That $3 sat on the mantle 
for how long, Mike, before it was ultimately decided? Right, so that's a that's a long time for that money to sit on the the mantle. I think isn't it sat it? there forever, and my sister, who is older than I, taunted me about it forever, and then ultimately I got the last laugh. But for those that are unfamiliar, we're going to relive it a little bit here. There was controversy in the 1981 Indianapolis 500 mile race, and let's listen to what happened, and then we will have Mike explain to us exactly what it was that we just heard and why it led to a great cloud of speculation over the Indy 500. Here we go. Bobby out again, and Bobby going out very, he passed a car. What's he doing? He, he, oh, look at oh. that, he's passed about half a dozen cars. Oh, James, that's Under a, the yellow, you can't do that. That is a no-no. He has accelerated probably in the haste of leaving the pit lane. He's certainly overtaken these other cars. I'm not sure why he did that. I know that you're certainly not supposed to do it. The regulations say that under yellow flag conditions, you must not pass any other cars, and that certainly has been the case here. He's certainly passed other cars. Right now, of course, they're under the yellow. There you see him in the blue and red car there, blue and yellow car. Okay, so that's what happened, and of course, then what happens is mayhem, Mike, right? Because Bobby Unser's the winner, no, wait, somebody get a hold of Mario, let's take pictures with Mario and give him everything, wait, we have a banquet to do, take us through what happens. Well, one of the biggest issues is, and I'm working on a show for WIBC on this whole situation, one of the biggest issues you have is the quirky nature of the television coverage at the time, right? So ABC at this point is not showing the race live. Correct. At that point, it's tape delay nationally at, in that evening. So only the beginning of the race was taped live and the end of the race was taped live, okay? Meaning the commentary with Jim McKay and Jackie Stewart, they're taping that live as, as that's happening, but then the rest of the race is being done in what we call post-production in the television world. So the first 20 laps of the race, they're doing live commentary. And the last in the last 20 laps, they're doing live commentary. The rest of the race, they're piecing it together with the guys in the booth voicing what they're seeing on, on tape instead, right? So at the time that incident happened where Bobby comes out of the pits, Mario comes out of the pits after an accident uh, later in the race, second half of the race, um, at the time that happened, if you listen to the radio network call, there is no mention of that incident whatsoever. They never mentioned that Bobby passed cars. They never mentioned Mario passed cars. So he passed it, the cars as he's as he's blending back into the field. Right. The rule and, was you were supposed to blend in as soon as 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 safely possible. Obviously, coming out of the pits. Correct. And he passed a dozen guys. Mario passed a couple cars. Now, one of those cars was A.J. Foyt, who later said, I waved him by. I waved Mario by, and and Mario has always contended that, that what Bobby did was he passed, you know, 10 more cars than, than Mario did. Um, and by rule, Bobby should have been penalized, is what Mario has said, because that's the rule. Now, we all know that the rules are not always followed. The, the rule in, in 1963 was flat out, Cars leaking oil will be black flagged, okay? So Parnelli Jones, his car was leaking oil. We know that to be a fact, and his car was never, never black flagged, and, and he won the race, and that rule was ignored the entire time. We, we know that to be a fact, right? So in this situation, uh, Bobby wins the race, as you say. He goes to victory lane. He holds up the three fingers. Everything's great. He's the winner, and immediately – 
Mario says as soon as he saw Bobby pass the cars, he radioed in and said, hey, Bobby just passed a bunch of cars. I'm well behind him now. Um, and because of the quirky nature of the situation, they come in. Mario finishes second. Uh, they say, hey, we're going to protest this. You can't protest until the official results come out, which isn't until the next morning. I always, which Mike, was, as uh, a kid growing up, I would always, you know, the results would come out and it would always say unofficial results. Right. And boy, you couldn't wait till the morning, right? I mean, it was right. like selection Sunday for the NCAA tournament. I can't wait to get up and find the official results. And oftentimes it meant, Mike, that, oh, wait a minute, so-and-so was scored 17th, but in reality they were 19th and so right. two, you know, that kind of thing. Now all of a sudden, but the, the, here's oh my what goodness, the situation right? is. So Patrick Racing cannot file a protest until the official results come out. So the results aren't going to come out until Monday morning. So, but there's murmuring going on now in the garage area that Patrick is going. Patrick Racing is going to file a protest when the official results come out. So now USAC's looking into it and they're starting to hear all what's going on. What Bobby Unser's contention always was, and what he was frustrated about flat out, is that when ABC did what we just heard with Jackie Stewart, that he felt that they manufactured a controversy. Correct. They embellished. And that they embellished the, it. They made the error more egregious than it was. Correct. And so his concern was, he says, you know, and we have a soundbite in the show that I'm producing for WIBC where he says, Jackie Stewart didn't know our rules. And it's his suggestion, Bobby's suggestion was, that he was told, he being Jackie Stewart, was told by someone at USAC to really play this up right because again this is being done in post-production it's not there was no live commentary of bobby passing any of the cars or mario passing any cars it was being done taped later so so there's it's a much more embellished is what his suggestion is than what would have been done at the time right? I, I notice you use the 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 british term maybe it's around donald too much yeah of, i spend a lot of time with donald of you know. commentary yeah i use See, commentary I, I go with i go with commentary yeah, now, is that, I, am i, I the use, hayseed here no i i am use, I the, am I, I the I use a lot of either british or canadian pronunciation it's impressive yeah. to be yeah, honest I, with you I, I have a lot of canadian relatives and so i do, use a lot do of you um, consider I, I say organizational i was lot. just going to say is no. usac to you like the the sanctioning organization i say organization yeah. all the time okay. if you ask anyone related to me okay um so the the issue became so they, they run the show that night, the tape-delayed broadcast, and at the end of the show, they have Mario on there to say, you know, Mario joins them live for a live segment where Mario's saying, hey, this is a rule that's been broken. Uh, we plan to protest. We think that we should be the winner, basically. Um, ABC claims at the time that they couldn't get a hold of Bobby Unser. Bobby says, hey, this was, you know... Um, you know, ridiculous. I was, you know, they could have got a hold of me if they tried. Um, nobody tried to get a hold of me. But um, so it, that's what opened up the whole can of worms is the the quirky television nature at the time, right? So, so they the, what you said is exactly correct. The next morning, they changed the results. Mario's now the winner. Bobby was was it's erroneously reported several times that he was given a one lap penalty. And in fact, if you listen to the um, broadcast that night. Tom Binford says, well, we could give him a one-lap penalty. Well, that's actually not what they did. They, they docked Bobby Unser one position, moved him to second, made Mario the winner. So now you've got a problem because you've got a guy who went to victory lane, held up the three fingers, kissed the, you know, the queen, and then now the next morning the guy taking the day after shots didn't go to victory lane. The guy who's being honored at the victory banquet is not the guy who went to victory lane. And 
we're talking about it being not just two different guys in that regard, but two guys who had been inside the cockpit, fierce competitors, outside the cockpit, great friends who shared a lot of laps over the years, and this creates a divide. And not only does it create a divide, but it does so with what still to this day is a familiar ring to it. And finally, a reconciliation. And we will hear from Bobby Unser in his own words about that reconciliation. And I'll explain what I mean with the rest of it when we return to Beyond the Bricks. This from Clay Carter on Twitter. Guys, I've been hooked on the Delta Force theme since 1988. I love this from Brian Taylor. The long-gone Old Country Buffet in Westfield had two 8x10s of Mario's 1981 winner's photo on the wall in the entrance. Yeah, I mean, the photos are there, the banquet. And what happened then, Mike, is that you have two guys in Bobby Unser and Mario Andretti who I thought I had heard at some point, and I could be wrong in this, so don't hold me to this to the fire but I, I thought at some point they if they weren't roommates they had shared like an apartment together at some point along the way I mean it's hard to say I mean guys would come into Indianapolis for the month and maybe maybe they just couch surf a few times I don't know but Mario Andretti and Bobby Unser um, leading into that 1981 race really were very good friends of one another yeah, they would travel together, and and they tell funny stories about when they traveled to uh, you know Grand Prix races over you know overseas and things like that. I mean, they were very close, uh, absolutely very close, and and this put a huge strain because, you know, Bobby honestly felt Mario was trying to take something that he felt he had rightfully won, and Mario Mario's point of view has always been, I just wanted the rules followed. There there was a rule that was said in the drivers' meeting, and this is how it was said that we were going to you know have to follow it. And in his opinion, Bobby didn't follow the rules, and he felt that he should have been penalized. And there are a lot of people believe that if Bobby would have been penalized at the time, he probably still would have won the race. Um, but there was no penalty called at the time. And again, the, the quirky nature of the television coverage uh, makes it, you know, Bobby at the time now feel like somebody's trying to steal something from me. And so, you know, Bobby got his, you know, hackles up a little bit, and he's he's upset at this point. The Norton Spirit started on pole, so we know that he had a good car, Bobby answered that he won with. But it led to a number of years of a cooled relationship between two of the biggest icons in the history of the sport, and Bobby Unser and Mario Andretti. And they did come together to do – for example, an ESPN look back on the 81 race. I mean, it was not like they flat did not speak to one another, but it was absolutely, you know, a cooling of the relationship. Now, for those that are unfamiliar, I think most people in Indianapolis know Robin Miller or know of Robin Miller, who is one of the all-time. Robin Miller is a personality like Bobby Unser, that there, he is a one-of-a-kind. And I love Robin as much as... I love anybody on this planet. Absolutely love him because he's a loyal guy and he's he's just the best. And Robin is very good friends with Steve Shunk, who is a public relations uh, guru and who has worked for IndyCar and has worked for ABC and has worked for Borg Warner. And the two of them were hosting a dinner, as they do each and every May. I believe it was in May, when uh, just a couple of years ago, and Bobby Unser was there. And they realized that Mario Andretti was in the same building, but not 
up in the dinner that they were doing for Borg Warner. So Robin and Steve Shunk went and got and I and I'm I'm telling this secondhand from from Robin's recount of it, admittedly. But they went and got Bobby Unser, or excuse me, Mario Andretti, and brought him up. And Mario and Bobby Unser sat down and talked for 45 minutes and laughed and joked around. And things began to get back to normal again. And thank goodness they did because we now know that, that you know, obviously Bobby Unser no longer with us now. And I think for both men, I can't speak for them, but there had to be, Mike, a piece that came with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and really one of the biggest moments was at the museum when when Bobby was they were being honored with the exhibit and Mario showed up kind of unannounced and he was in the crowd and Bobby was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" and he and Bobby was honestly not happy about it. And and then he called him up and Mario came up and they were laughing and joking and and Mar- and Bobby tells us about how the fact that that really broke the ice and he he gives all the credit to Mario for breaking the ice. Here is Bobby Unser on the reconciliation with Mario Andretti. I mean, how many years is that that we didn't talk? A lot of years, you know, somewhere around, let's see, 80, 90, 30 years. More than 30 years we didn't talk. And and I think that that was sad. You know, he, he'd be a good friend. Hard to find good friends, you know? I, I could tell him something and have to worry about it. And, and I don't mean about my race car. I never told anybody about my race cars. But but we, we, were, we were in the bad times, a lot of years. And that was sad because I'd see him and I'd think, you know, and I'd always think it's a shame. But after he came walking up that night in the museum, I didn't think it was a shame. I felt like an idiot. I said, God dang, you're stubborn man so it was time to make up and and we did and and i am I'm glad i did it you know he's the one that broke the ice bobby answer talking about mario andretti now what's funny about all of that mike is that even with that and i this just tickles me to no end and i think most people know this but mario andretti who it's so funny because for me as a kid growing up following the Indy 500, you know, the Andrettis were very polarizing, right? You either liked the Andrettis or you didn't. Um, my favorite driver as a kid was Al Unser Jr., and my other favorite driver was Roberto Guerrero. My dad liked A.J. Foyt a lot. My sister liked A.J. Foyt. So I was kind of in the camp of not being a fan of the Andrettis. And now that I'm in the capacity that I'm in now and fortunate enough to do so, I, I really don't know of a finer gentleman than Mario Andretti, an ambassador for the sport, and just you know one of the things he does at Christmas time every year of asking people to send pictures of their Christmas tree, and he comments to everybody about how beautiful their Christmas tree is, and just the definition of a kind soul is Mario Andretti. But there is one little piece of that 1981 race, even still, that I don't know that Mario is ever going to give up. Right. Yeah, it's the ring because he got the ring and he said he's not giving up the ring and he's he's kind of held it over or he held it over Bobby until the end and and in a playful way. Um, you know, in in that special I'm putting together, Mario talks about the fact he said, you know, he he's like, um, you know, Bobby thought I was mad at him. I was never mad at him. You know, it, you know, I was just trying to have the rules followed. But but he there is a little bit of playfulness and a little bit of you know I've got something that you don't have, which is which is the ring and 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 the fact that. You know, there are no day after shots of the Norton spirit. 
There are there are of Mario, but there aren't any day after shots of, of Bobby Unser on the Art of Bricks the next day. You know, Mario Andretti though to this day, if you see Mario Andretti and he's wearing the the famous Indy 500 winners ring, he's wearing the 1981 ring. He doesn't wear the 69 ring. He mm-hmm. wears the 81 ring. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know that he. Every time that I have been around him and and had have asked. Because obviously the only difference on the rings would be on the side bearing when it says the year. So I guess it's possible I've been around him when he's wearing the 69 ring. But every time that I've ever actually made it a point to ask him, which is only a handful, but it is the 81 ring he's wearing. Yeah. I, and it's just one of those fun, quirky things. That part is, you know, that, that he's, you know, he had a good time, you know, kind of needling Bobby about it. And I, your your point was really well taken earlier that it's good that these guys were able to patch things up before we lost Bobby because it would have been a real, real shame had they never gotten the chance to patch it up. Absolutely. Um, One of the things we want to do each night, well, I don't know if we'll do it each night, but certainly a lot of them because Mike's got a a huge archive. The only thing that he has more of than autographs in Ohio State memorabilia is, in fact, audio from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I love when I watch the old broadcasts that I'll do from time to time and seeing some of the old commercials and listening to some of the old commercials, and, and, and in particular, some of them, you think to yourself, I, I really am getting old. When you see some of them and you hear some of them, uh, you have dipped into your archive to bring us what commercial from what year? Tonight, we're bringing you 1981, and it's the Pennzoil Chaparral. All right, here we go. From 1981. Jim Hall, Johnny Rutherford, and the Pennzoil Chaparral, three winning teammates. Jim Bills, Johnny Races, and the Pennzoil Chaparral delivers. Doesn't it, Johnny? That's why it wears the big red number one. It's the car I drove to victory at Indy and then carried me to the 1980 National Driving Championship. Carried something else pretty important, too. Sure, Pennzoil Motor Oil. Number one with number one, Pennzoil. For cars like Johnny's and cars like yours. Ask for it. Now, I'm assuming they did that commercial before the race when that car came home 32nd, right? That was. And, and actually, I think the car was out by the time they ran that spot. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> so, here's the thing. The Pennzoil Chaparral, which has carried Johnny Rutherford to all kinds of greatness, out of the race on lap 25 with a fuel pump issue, right? Yeah, and and, and Johnny, after the the one year he finished, uh, he won the race, and then the next year he finished last, and he said, sometimes, you know, you're the, the chicken, and sometimes you're the feathers, or something to that effect. So. You know, we have uh, on Twitter, by the way, at Thompson, and that's T-H-O-M-S-E-N 419, right? That's correct. At Thompson 419, or at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. Over the course of the month, folks, we'd love to hear from you during the course of the show. I appreciate those like Brian and Clay, for example, who wrote in to make a comment to us. And we'd love to know what you'd like to hear, right, in terms of commercials or just stories that we can come up with. Uh, it is. Mark Monteith used to say he does the fastest hour on radio, but uh, this this might trumpet. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing 240 down the straights, right? Absolutely. We are flying by, I can tell you that. We are. And this one already is out of turn number four. I appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, Scott Swan of WTHR, I appreciate you sending me a note saying you're listening. It makes me nervous when actual broadcast professionals are peering in, but we will be sure to watch Scott tonight on the night beat at 11 o'clock on WTHR. Much appreciated. We're back at it again at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Thanks, Brad Huber. This is Beyond the Bricks.